0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of Everything's 5x4, a random podcast on Shuffle. I'm your host, Steve. As I said, this is Episode 7. Mumbo, perhaps. Jumbo, perhaps not. So, how Everything's 5x4 works, for people who haven't heard any of my first six episodes, I pick five randomly selected topics that I discuss for four minutes apiece every week. And, uh, well, it's not accurate to say I pick them. A random number generator picks them, just to keep things interesting. All right, so the title for this week, um, as I said, is Mumbo, Perhaps, Jumbo, Perhaps Not. That's a reference to a Futurama episode where Bender inherits a haunted mansion from his great uncle, and Professor Farnsworth mocks a robot villager um, for calling it haunted, and he says superstitious mumbo jumbo and the robot villager says super says mumbo perhaps jumbo perhaps not so yeah there you go um anyway let's see what the random number generator has for us this week all right I lied there's actually a couple things I want to get to real quick before I do the number generator to pick the topics uh first of all I'd like to say that episode six was actually my most listened to episode ever. So thank you for everyone who bothered to listen. Uh, Still not a lot of listeners, but hey, appreciate uh, anything I can get. And uh, if you want to, um, you know, make a comment or complaint, my email is everythings 5 by 4 at gmail.com. That's everything's without an apostrophe, 5x4 at gmail.com. And uh, I also uh, am going to be doing sort of a spin-off show, I guess. Um, as I said, I kind of always have more than I want to talk about regarding baseball and soccer. So I've decided to do uh, occasionally, no real schedule for them. Uh, everything's 2x12 where I talk about baseball and soccer for 12 minutes a piece, Um, not a peach. I could also uh, probably subtitle it False Hope Season. Um, But anyway, eventually I might also have some guests in that format as well. So, you know, stay tuned. Anyway, um, I'm rambling on too long. Let's get to the random number generator and see what we have in store this week. Okay, so first we've got topic number seven, which is other miscellaneous sports. Put that in there. All right, and let's see what we have after that. We have okay, wanted to go to topic number seven again, but let's see here. Okay, topic number eight, which is shout outs. All right, and let's see what the third topic is going to be. I should probably have musical accompaniment for this, but I don't. Okay, topic number six, other miscellaneous pop culture. All right, two more to go. Let's see what we have in store. topic number four, which is movies. And last but not least, topic number 10, which is TV. All right, and there you have it. Those are the five topics for this week. As a bit of a disclaimer here, this episode might be a little bit more uneven than even usual. That makes sense. Uh, I've scripted a fair amount of this episode and some of it I haven't so we'll see how that goes so probably unsurprising for an episode in March but for other miscellaneous sports I'm going to be talking about college basketball and specifically my alma maters University of Missouri and Florida State University aka Mizzou and FSU it was an interesting season to say the least For the first time since 2012, uh, both of them were ranked in the top 25 at the same time. You also had both of them in the top 10 at various points in the season. Both of them have some flaws, uh, but no tournament tips here because A, the tournament has already started, and B, to be honest, I really mostly just pay attention to my alma maters and their respective conferences Uh, and there was definitely the shadow of COVID, unfortunately, hanging over this season. Uh, You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it definitely did affect this year, and I'll get into that as well. Okay, so I'm going to try to do two minutes about each, starting with Mizzou. So with Mizzou, I feel like I inadvertently cursed them. I created an image with uh, Mitchell Smith, Mark Smith, and Drew Smith, as the members of the Smiths, other than Johnny Mark, because he's clearly the best member of the Smiths, uh, in front of the Salford Lads Club. And things seemed to go downhill at that point. The game I made it was an overtime loss to Arkansas. But in all seriousness, uh, Mizzou has had a very up-and-down season. We're in the top 10 at one point. Uh, beat Alabama, beat Tennessee, beat Illinois. um but also lost to unranked Georgia, also lost to Ole Miss twice, uh, also lost to Tennessee, Alabama, and and Arkansas, including a loss to Arkansas in the SEC quarterfinals. And a lot of it seems to Drew Smith has been the best player all year. Uh, He was first team All-ACC or All-SEC. Wow. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to keep that mistake in there anyway. Because I'm on a roll. But Jeremiah Tillman seemed to be the guy that uh, things kind of revolved around him. He was He's a big man. He improved a lot this season. He really became that inside presence that uh, he's been at times. But recently in the SEC tournament, he had a rough time. He kind of went back to his old issues of foul trouble. Uh, Mizzou has a lot of seniors. It's a veteran team. Uh, and so it's been weird seeing them this inconsistent. Uh, the good news is we're in the tourney as an eight seed. The bad news is even winning tomorrow will mean likely facing number one overall seed, 26-0 Gonzaga in the second round. So I'd love to see us get in the second round. Don't really have a lot of faith after that. Uh, moving on to FSU, I think a lot of FSU can be talked about in the rise of MJ Walker. MJ Walker is one of those guys who can easily drop 20 or 25 on you um, any given night. But in the past, the problem is he had a lot of bad games and bad shooting games in between there. His shooting has been much better and more consistent this year. He was second team all ACC, uh, the leading scorer. Uh, but the team also runs on Scotty Barnes, the do-everything five-star recruit a uh, freshman. But usually with those one-and-done type players, you, they don't make them like him because he is like Magic Johnson in terms of he's a six nine point guard, led the team in assists. Um, not afraid to shoot, but really a great facilitator and rebounder as well. Um, Third-team All-ACC, sixth man of the year and freshman of the year, well-deserved. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Raekwon Gray, a uh, guy from down in Fort Lauderdale, local, local kid. Um, massively improved his shooting and rebounding this year from being kind of a rotation guy to being a guy who averaged 12 points and six and a half rebounds a game while shooting 52%, 79% from the charity stripe. All just huge improvement from last season. He actually had eight double-figure scoring games in his first 73 college games, and then he had 12 straight before going into the ACC tournament where he struggled a bit. you know, and FSU just had a better run, I think, beating number seven overall Virginia by 20 points. However, it's been rough lately, losing to Notre Dame to close out the season, barely beating North Carolina and turning over the ball 25 times to lose the ACC final to Virginia Tech, or not Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech. Um, So I think it, it'll be interesting to see how we come through in the tournament. Um. You know, I I think the path for the first couple rounds isn't that tough, but then you get Michigan in the Sweet 16, Alabama in the Elite 8, and Gonzaga in the Final Four, potentially. Uh, This was over four minutes, but I think I did a pretty good job summarizing the seasons anyway. So, hoping they can win tomorrow. Okay, so as I've mentioned many times, I could easily do an entire podcast about soccer. And so my shout-outs today are actually going to be soccer-related. But before you fast-forward through this, if you're, if you're not a soccer fan, um, it's actually going to be related to things uh, sort of happening off the field and the culture surrounding the sport, um, which sounds kind of complicated for a shout-out, but I will get into that. All right, so the shout outs are also an unscripted part, so I'm going to roll through this the best that I can. So I think first of all, in shout outs, uh, I want to mention Peter Wilt. And for people who are not soccer fans, and particularly not soccer fans of teams in the Chicago area, that name might be a bit meaningless to you, but he is responsible for the founding of the Chicago Red Stars, the Chicago Fire, um, as well as Indy 11 and the NASL and most recently, Chicago House Athletic Club. Uh, Chicago House Athletic Club is going to be uh, National Independent Soccer Association team. That's the third division in the U.S. Um, but what's cool about Chicago House is the name was actually decided by by fans uh, during a tournament on Twitter. Um, and really, it's kind of, uh, it's not a fan-owned club, but it seems like there's just been a lot of Things from the ground up that they're trying to build. So Peter Wilt is the is the GM. Um, he's definitely committed to getting as as much representation as many different people in the community involved as possible. He is someone who's worked in soccer for decades, and still just has a great reputation. He's beloved, and that really speaks volumes because generally by now. Um, you know, with the reckoning of Me Too and the reckoning of uh, past racist, racist things people have said, generally it comes out. Uh, Peter Wilt, really everyone seems to be behind him and has just been a really great guy in terms of just doing his best to get as many people involved in soccer as possible. Night Train Vec is also involved. Uh, Night Train Vec is the grandson of Bill Vec, the former uh, White Sox owner who, uh, yeah, I could talk a lot about Belvac. I mean, he was a guy who was ahead of his time in terms of supporting civil rights, in terms of really um, just supporting fans and being an owner who was very pro-fan and uh, really wanted to change the economics of the sport so it was more accessible to everybody. Um, anyway, uh, so Chicago House, though, I just got my Chicago House scarf it's um, The name itself is a tribute to, um, you know, to Jane Addams, uh, Whole House, and, and things related to charity work in Chicago, as well as to house music, um, you know, which is a Chicago innovation and change the face of electronic music and of hip hop. And uh, CJ Brown, the all-time uh, Chicago Fire appearance leader, is going to be the first head coach. So that's great. But I don't want to just talk about Chicago House. I want to also talk about some supporters group. that are sort of changing, working to change the face of soccer. Uh, black Fires, who are a um, black group of Chicago Fire supporters who ha- are uh, creating space for for black fans. I think that's great. Uh, as a white soccer fan, it's not hard to notice that a lot of soccer support is pretty white. Um, so I appreciate what they're doing and what other Supporters groups of color are doing. The Plastics are a national group. Uh, they're actually dedicated to creating space for um, for female fans, both both cisgender, trans, um, non-binary, femme. Uh, they're doing a lot of great work too. Uh, soccer is a game. It's the world's game. It's uh, very diverse and. You know, I think it's I think it's a great thing that we're in the U.S. finally trying to reach out and get get some more people involved in that. So today, in other miscellaneous pop culture, I'm going to talk about something from the internet that has actually really stood the test of time. Uh, so, epic rap battles of history started all the way back in 2010 and is still going, and I think is still as good as ever. Um, so. Yeah, that's something that I think could have easily just been another meme. And because of the work that Nice Peter and Epic Void put into it, um, it really, again, has, has stood the test of time, which actually, I guess, is kind of a cheesy thing to say, considering it is called Epic Rap Battles of History. Um, my apologies for the terrible pun. Okay, so what is Epic Rap Battles of History? as i mentioned it started in 2010 uh the creators behind it are nice peter and epic lloyd who just were two sort of -of run-of-the-mill youtubers and then they just kind of started doing this uh they dress up they adapt the affectations of uh, different historical figures and they do their research uh and you've got people from pop culture in there uh people from people actually from history uh, contemporary people, athletes—you uh, have a little bit of everything there. So, and it's actually gotten big enough that you've had people like Key and Peele, Snoop Dogg, Weird Al uh, guesting in it. So it's, uh, yeah, obviously uh, been sort of a sensation and has just kind of continued because I think it's it's widely liked and they just do a really great job with it. So I'm actually going to go through. Um, I actually first encountered it at a friend who I I lost touch with. I'd like to get back in touch with him, uh, but you know he and I we we'd go out to to the bars, and afterwards we'd end up back at his place just watching random stuff on YouTube. And uh, you know he showed me this one one day, and it kind of um, you know got lost in the back of my mind. And later I encountered it again. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is still great. But going through the seasons, uh, I'm going to go through my favorites. Um, and you really have, uh, it's interesting cause it's, it's hip hop in terms of you've got, okay, who's dropping the best individual lines and disses versus who has the best flow. Uh, the first season, um, my favorite episode is Christopher Columbus versus Captain Kirk. Um, I think they both have very unique and different flows. Kirk does the Shatner thing, uh, but drops a lot of great lines about Columbus being genocidal. Uh, so I think that's, that's you know, it's just, it's, it's really well done. Second season, Babe Ruth and Lance Armstrong. Again, I think both of them had great flows. I think Babe Ruth actually has the better disses. Uh, third season, Isaac Newton versus Bill Nye. And guess what? You have a guest appearance. From Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five, who shows up as Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, the fourth season Terminator, it was really hard. The fourth season was particularly great. Um, you know, I, so was the third season. But Terminator versus RoboCop was probably my favorite. Uh, the fifth season, going back to athletes again, Tony Hawk versus Wayne Gretzky. Uh, yeah, and uh, sixth season more. On lines of pop culture, you had Freddy Krueger versus Wolverine. And so this sounds like a lot of athletes and people from pop culture more so, but you have battles between Greek philosophers, Russian leaders, Renaissance artists, uh, Shaka Zulu makes an appearance, um, and again, they find guests. So for the most part, you're just, you're at least, you're not getting any kind of weird cultural appropriation, or uh, worse than that. But definitely Epic Rap Battles of History is worth checking out. Uh, they had they do it in seasons, as I mentioned. They had a bit of a break from COVID. Uh, the seventh season is dropping sometime this year. Uh, but there are actually... Let me see. There are over 100 episodes. No, there's 83 episodes. My bad, I'm just kidding. Uh, But yeah, there's just a lot of great matchups in there. And if you're a student of history, if you like hip-hop, if you just like funny things, uh, all worth checking out. Okay, so as mentioned in earlier episodes, with movies, I'm going through each of the Star Trek The Next Generation films. Uh, So I watched Generations, and this week I watched First Contact So, after I get through the four Star Trek The Next Generation films, I'm going to be going on to movies uh, that kind of made me feel ways about stuff when I was at high school or college. But getting back to the matter at hand, um, First Contact was actually my favorite of the Star Trek The Next Generation films from my memory. It aged very well. It's the one I've seen the most and the most recently before I rewatched it, I would say I've seen it within the last decade, which is a lot more recently than the other films. So uh, here goes. So First Contact came out a couple years after Generations. Uh, One of the things that hasn't aged well over the past 25 years is some of the special effects in Blu-ray, but overall, as I said, I feel like it aged very well. Uh, So a few things that stood out, I think at first seeing Jordy without a visor is kind of disconcerting. You get used to it, though. And more power to him that he's found a better way to see with uh, technology. Uh, so Picard and Riker uh, sardonically complaining about sweeping the neutral zone instead of helping out uh, to stop the Borg attack. Um, it kind of, I, I like it because, hey, in the 24th century, sometimes you're still kind of disappointed when um, you know your boss makes you do make work. As the admiral was making them do, so I actually think that's kind of funny. It's something that you know relates back to back to our time uh, for a lot of people. Uh, so Data's emotion ship is one of the character arcs that's uh, or the plot arcs that's going on and character arcs that's going on. And he says, "I believe I speak for everyone here when I say to hell with our orders when they join the join to uh, fight the Borg anyway." Uh, There's references to the spinoff. So Worf commanding the Defiant kind of fits in with his work on Deep Space Nine. It doesn't make sense outside of that context. But hey, they bring back Worf, and he's heavily involved in the film. So that's important. Uh, Another thing is there's a couple Voyager references that pop up. The emergency medical hologram shows up as a diversion to try and stop the Borg. Uh, You also have Ethan Phillips, who plays Neelix uh, in Voyager show up as a nightclub mater d' on the holodeck. And that's another interesting thing. I, I like this that this film really took a lot of things from the TV show, uh, time travel, the holodeck, and just managed to work it into the plot. Um, even though maybe the holodeck was a bit gratuitous, I, I still like that there was a reference to that. Uh, another thing about, about this movie, they brought in a lot of, uh, actors from outside the Star Trek universe that have big time acting shops. So you had Alfre Woodard and James Cromwell and Alice Krieg, all, all making important appearances in the film, um, as major characters who are not, the Enterprise crew. All right. Um, so I think it's also kind of interesting that the movie directly addresses one of its contradictions, where Data points out the contradiction of having a Borg queen, which is a weird flaw in the plot, but again I think the movie's good enough that we can just kind of gloss over that. Um, so Zephyr and Cochran I think is in tr- an interesting character, because again it shows, hey, there's a lot of historical figures that are problematic in some ways, but you know, they still made history. And so I think that was another thing the movie was trying to point out, like, hey, this guy has some issues, you know, so you can see him as a whole human being. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that just makes it a great action movie, too. Uh, war fighting hand-to-hand with the Borg and saying assimilate this. I mean, that that's just a YouTube scene or a GIF that, that you know, should get more internet use. Uh, Worf being denied by Picard is a is a con- consistent trope that pops up. Um, and the Picard scene with Lily talking about revenge, it just seems like Patrick Stewart and Alfre Woodard just acting and playing off each other, and you just really see some great acting chops there. Uh, Data's resistance is futile line is also something that could be a GIF. I think there's kind of a Terminator feel to the end. And overall, just a great Star Trek The Next Generation movie and a really good action and sci-fi movie, even if you're not a big Star Trek fan, I think. All right, I'm going to be doing the TV section a little differently today. Uh, for all the previous episodes related to TV, I've been re-watching Futurama, uh, which is my favorite TV series of all time. Half the episode names are Futurama references, uh, so that tells you uh, its, its influence on me. But this week, I'm actually going to be talking about something a little different. I'm going to be talking about books uh, being adapted into TV miniseries and uh, how that's, I feel like, really been a great thing. All right, so this topic is kind of interesting because I feel like I could have used it for books or for TV. But I think there's always been an issue with with readers where they've always said, oh, movie adaptations aren't good enough. The book is always better. I think that's generally the case. But it's also just about constraints, right? So if you're adapting a 250-page book, it's hard to get everything in there in an hour and a half or two-hour movie. And a three-hour movie can be kind of a chore to get through. And even then you're still gonna miss parts of the book so I think it's actually been a really awesome trend to see so many books uh, becoming miniseries and of course this has been going on for a long time you can go back to roots um, and I'm sure even further that's just the first thing that comes to mind Um, you've had a couple different miniseries adaptations of Stephen King works of course but more recently, I, I just want to talk within the last uh, couple years here. So we've seen a couple TV se- uh, books made into TV series that have lasted more than a season. And that's had uh, pretty mixed results, actually. So you have The Handmaid's Tale, which the source material from the book really only made up the first season. But, I mean, there's so much going on with that show that I think they've done an excellent job of moving past the source material. There's, of course, a lot of parallels to um, the socio-political times that we live in currently um, that makes the dystopia seem more real. And, uh, you know, as a man, it's hard for me to speak on how it feels to... I can't really speak on, obviously, how it feels to watch that as a woman, but it's uh, it's a very intense show, a very well-done show. Uh, but on the other side, you've got a show like 13 Reasons Why, which I thought actually had a good first season going with the source material, and then when it lost the source material, it really lost lost the plot um, as the expression goes, and I think it's accurate here. Um, 13 Reasons Why, I always want to mention with the caveat, though, that uh, Jay Astor does have some um, sexual assault allegations against him, so not really promoting it, and the series really went downhill after the first season anyway. Um, But to get more on the point of miniseries, I think that's what's been great about miniseries, because they keep that source material for a season, and it just flows really well. Series ends, book ends, they get pretty much everything in there. So looking for Alaska on Hulu, John Green was trying to get that adapted for literally over a decade. Um, after, he, after the rights were sold. Um, and they did a great job with that series on Hulu. Definitely worth watching. Um, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, set in the 90s, but deals, I think, with a lot of, uh, a lot of political issues, a lot of uh, immigration and racial issues that we are, of course, still dealing with today. And uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, I did not see the earlier CBS miniseries adaptation, but the one on CBS All Access, now Paramount Plus, I think they did an excellent job. Uh, I have not read the book. I'm actually currently listening to it. But yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, so it's hard, I guess, for me to say how good the adaptation is, but in terms of inspiring me to read the book, it really did a great job there. So definitely books as miniseries. I think definitely work better than movies and often better than an entire series as well. Okay, so this episode was a bit of a cheat. I gave you an extra 22 seconds on college basketball. Um, You know, sometimes that's going to happen. So it's not quite everything's 5 by 4 today, but hopefully hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Again, if you want to reach me with comments or complaints or just tell me that I'm awful, Uh whatever. (laughs) Everything's five by four at gmail.com. That's everything's without an uh, apostrophe 5x4 at gmail.com. Uh so yeah, if you if you enjoyed the show, if you didn't enjoy the show, um either way, get in touch. I just want to hear from somebody. (laughs) And thanks again for making episode the last episode, episode six, the most listened to one so far. Hopefully this one will do even better. And as always, uh, when I'm ending a show, thank you for listening and keep everything five by four. Thank you.